Welcome to On The Way, where we walk through scripture in episodes that are short enough that you can listen to them on the way to your destination and deep enough to help you on the way to becoming who God created you to be. We are being sanctified. We've not yet reached perfection. We are not yet in heaven, but we are on the way. Welcome to episode 27 of On The Way. This is the seventh episode in the book of Luke, and today we're going to go through the first half of Luke chapter, you guessed it, seven. This chapter opens with two incredible miracles. The first of two miracles is the story of Jesus healing a Roman centurion's slave boy. And I've wrestled with this story a lot. What's a centurion? A centurion is a soldier with 100 people serving under him. So they're Rome's best warriors. They're Rome's Goliaths, and they were the enemy, right? If you're not, if you're an Israelite, they're the enemy. They're the occupying force. Matthew 8 also tells us this story, and, and Matthew's version actually gives us more detail. So I'm going to use that version for my analysis of this interaction. In the Matthew version, the centurion used the Greek word peis, to reference this sick boy, a peis literally means my young servant. Um, Luke used the Greek word daulos, which simply means slave. And that's significant because in that culture, they used these two words to refer to two different kinds of slaves. Slavery in that time didn't have racial overtones like it does today. It had economic overtones. It was all about fortune and indebtedness. The whole first century was built on slavery. I think of it's one of the great evils of history. And one of the things I've wrestled with in this story is the fact that Jesus did not really mention slavery at all. He, he did so little about the situation of this boy being a slave. Instead, he focused on the gospel. There's a leadership lesson here for us that I think we can learn. There's a lot of good things that we could be doing, but we're wise to stay focused on the best things. It's it's the ends versus the means. Jesus is in the ends business, not the means business. He, he has a goal. And if he would have spent his time on earth trying to abolish slavery, he would have failed to reach his goal. Okay, so we're talking about a young slave boy who is sick. What else do we know about this slave boy? Well, if you look into it, it's not a pretty picture. This boy is a peis, a young servant. The word peis is where we get the word pedophile. The other thing we know is that the centurion had emotional connection to this boy. He had a lot of love and affection for this boy. We know that in this period of history, homosexuality was very common among powerful men, but it was almost always something done with inferiors, unequals, slaves, and weak people. It's something that was forced. It was rape. And in the Roman army, homosexuality was very common, but it was almost always done with a peis. It's hard to say, and we we don't know for sure, but there is a good chance that the reason this centurion had so much affection for this boy was that it was his boy toy, his slave lover. And what does Jesus respond to this centurion's request? He says, I will heal him. He didn't say, I'll heal him if you repent or if you free your slave. He didn't say, I'll come to your house if you give up your gay lifestyle. In fact, he said, this sinful centurion has had the most faith of anybody I've witnessed in Israel. Jesus is complimenting this evil man. 
In Jesus's eyes, we are all sinners. None of us deserve anything from God. Yet in God's grace, he gives what we don't deserve. And Jesus didn't use prerequisites for healing in his ministry. We, we've seen this all over the place. He healed out of kindness. He healed out of love. Jesus's primary objective is to heal the boy, even if it means that he has to go back to a life of slavery. So what about us? What are our motivations? When we see people who commit sins that we think are worse than the sins that we commit, how do we react? Can we love them in their sin? Well, Jesus did. We are all sinners in need of a savior. We are all sick people in need of a doctor. Can we look at homosexual people not as less than, but as sinners in need of a savior, just like us? Okay, I'm moving too slow. In verse 11, we see another story of Jesus's incredible compassion when he raised the son of a widow from the dead. Can you imagine the emotions in this scene? This morning, I watched one of those videos of a kid getting implants so that he could hear for the first time. And when they turned on those hearing aids for the first time, and that little boy heard his mom and dad's voices for the very first time, he started crying. And his parents started crying, and I started crying. This scene is a beautiful scene of healing and, and the, the union and the celebration that happens as a result of it. The scenes where Jesus performed miracles were emotional scenes, and hordes of people started following Jesus as a result. Then there's another complex story where Jesus interacts with some of John the Baptist's disciples. John sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Luke 7, 19. And remember, this is the John that was the fulfillment of 2,000 years of prophecies of someone who would come and prepare the way for the Lord. Like, his life mission was to tell people who Jesus was. He was the son of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was the, the cousin of Mary. If you're keeping track, that makes Jesus and John second cousins. When Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant with John and Jesus, the Bible said John leapt inside Israel, Elizabeth's womb. When he heard Mary's voice, John knew that he was in the presence of God before he ever drew a breath on this earth. What makes John the person we're talking about right now is his ability to know who Jesus is before everyone else. When John was baptizing people in the Jordan River and Jesus walked up, John pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And while John was baptizing Jesus, a dove came down from the sky and, and God said to John in an audible voice, this is my son. Do you think John knew who Jesus was? So why now is he asking Jesus if he's the Messiah? Jesus hasn't changed. So what's changed? John's circumstances have changed. Now John is in prison. He knew who Jesus was, but he started to doubt. He's thinking, if Jesus is the Messiah, why am I in prison? And if we're honest, we all have had these moments, right? We start to doubt God because he's not making our circumstances better. John's saying, Jesus, I spent my life out in the wilderness preaching about you, leading people to you. I was out there living in camel hair, eating locusts, and this is what I get? And what's Jesus' response? 
Luke 7, 22. Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Even though all these great things were happening in Jesus' ministry, John was still in prison. All of the things that Jesus was doing in the world meant nothing to John because he didn't think Jesus was going to do something about his situation. He was saying, what about me? And then the words of Jesus changed things, right? There's a shift in the story. Luke 7, 23 says, And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now, wait a minute. Why would somebody fall away because of Jesus? Well, remember who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to Jews. The Jews were offended by Jesus. They were offended by who Jesus was, who he was born to. I mean, he's the son of Mary, really? He's a Jewish carpenter or stonemason. They were offended by how he was born and where he was born. They were offended because he was uneducated, a blue-collar worker. They didn't like the way he dressed or who he hung out with. They hated how he didn't follow all their rules, and they hated how he preached about love and grace and surrender. In other words, they were offended because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. He didn't fit their mold of what the Messiah would look like. They wanted for centuries for the Messiah that he would, he would be someone who would set them free politically. But he didn't do anything that they wanted him to do. So John is in prison, and Jesus isn't going to do what John wants him to do. So he started to doubt. But Jesus still had faith in John. He turned to the crowd and said, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. In other words, John is great, but even he can screw up. John is great, but you can be like him. Then how did the people respond? Verse 29, when they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John because he had paved the way he went before John's life wasn't just that moment in his life it was bigger than that moment of weakness when you think of John you don't picture a guy in prison right you picture the guy who baptized Jesus and the same is true for you your life isn't just one moment your life isn't just defined by your worst moments no your life is more than one part of your story Then in verse 34, Jesus says, The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. In other words, it works. If you follow, if you put these things into practice, it'll prove that it's wisdom. In other words, Jesus is saying, Look at the fruit. You might not like that Jesus spends so much time with the sinners, but just wait. See what happens to him. The story is bigger than this little snapshot. Watch for the results. Jesus makes our lives better, and he makes us better at life. You'll see. 
Okay, that gets us to the middle of chapter seven. If you're getting together with a group to discuss this episode, we've included some discussion questions in the show notes. And if you have time, spend a few moments in prayer before your gathering. Ask God to use these passages to form you into the person he created you to be. Thank you for joining me for this episode of On The Way. Here are the discussion questions for this episode. Number one, why did Jesus heal the centurion's slave boy without requiring the centurion to repent? Number two, what is your top takeaway from the story of Jesus healing the centurion's slave boy? Number three, when Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead, Jesus' fame grew. Was Jesus healing so that people would hear about him? Or simply because he loved people? Or both? Number four, why did John the Baptist tell his disciples to ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah? <laughs> 